On today's episode of the Career Pact Podcast, we're back with another Money Talk episode. We're talking about whether or not our money is actually safe in the bank. If you guys have been enjoying the recent episodes, make sure to follow, share this pod with a friend, and follow us on all socials at the Career Pact Podcast. Thank you guys so much for the support, and let's get into today's episode. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to episode number 46 of the Career Pact Podcast. My name is Neil Patel. I am the host for your pod. And on this pod, we combine creativity and impact and hopes to give more than I can get. And we are finally back with a Money Talks episode, breaking down everything about money, the world, the economy, politics, stuff like that. And for those of you who are new, I'm doing something pretty cool, a podcast every single day for 365 days straight. We are on day 46. We're almost close, closing in on 50 in a couple of days. So what's on the agenda today? On this Money Talks episode, we're going to be talking about something that I feel like it's very mainstream. And this actually happened by the time you guys are listening to this, it happened five to six days ago. So We're talking about whether or not our money is safe in the bank anymore. And the reason I'm talking about this is because of a big banking financial crisis that we have going on in the world right now. So how did this come about? I was just scrolling, minding my business, doing my little typical Twitter deep dives, newsletters, reading, trying to just figure out shit to talk about some stuff on. And I came across some super interesting tweets and boom. Shit got wild. And I know some people may think this is something that isn't too big of an issue or something that, you know, the average Joe doesn't really have to worry about. But I think it is something that should be understood and something that we should be actively seeking to understand. So imagine this. You wake up you wake up to find yourself in the middle of an empty room. No bed to lay on, no sofa to chill, not even that hideous brown sweater you wear when no one's around. It's like your whole existence vanished in thin air. But that's just a warm up compared to what happened to over 10,000 companies this past weekend. Silicon Valley Bank shut down and wiped out everything these businesses worked for in a single night. It's like a damn magic trick, but instead of pulling a rabbit out of the hat, they made everything disappear. Poof, just like that. Years of hard work, all the planning, long Zoom calls, pitch decks, all the sweat and tears were just gone. I can't even begin to imagine the gut-wrenching feeling of these founders who essentially kind of like just poured out their souls and hearts into their companies only to see it crumble before their eyes. The same exact founders who hired 50 employees and raised $10 million from investors. I don't know about you, but can you imagine how it feels to tell those employees that you can't pay them on Friday because the bank closed down and took all your money with it? It's like saying, hey guys, I know we've been working hard, but the bank just went poof and so did our money. Sorry, not sorry. It's like a nightmare that nobody wants to experience, but it's like this weird, harsh reality for all of those 10,000 businesses. So just imagine that. So what happened? 
I'm going to talk about the entire story, and it's going to be from this Twitter thread that I'm going to be referring to. And I'm honestly, I'm just going to read this entire Twitter thread just so you guys can get a full breakdown of what actually happened in a simple way where you guys can understand. So it goes like this. We just saw the second largest bank collapse in U.S. history. A massive bank run caused customers to withdraw $42 billion in less than 24 hours. And by the way, this is from a person by the name of Mark Walensky at LTI underscore finance on Twitter. I'll link all of his, or I'll, I'll link this thread in the description of this pod. But here's what we need to know. So what happened? Silicon Valley Bank, a big bank based out of Silicon Valley, was just closed by U.S. regulators. This marks the highest bank failure since the 08 financial crisis. This bank was essentially a bank that was trusted with over $200 billion in total assets. And of all the startups in, you know, across the country, they work with almost half of all venture capital funded startups. So you may be asking, why did this happen? Here's why. The bank had more than half of their total assets invested into something called treasury bonds, which are highly impacted by interest rates. And as the Fed has been raising rates to combat inflation, these bonds became much less valuable and the bank had to do something to recoup these losses. And if you guys don't know what treasury bonds are, they're essentially like a piece of paper that they get from the government to be like, hey, in this paper, here's this bond. It's worth this amount of money. Um, so, you know, we want this piece of paper and we're going to put this amount of money into the bond. And whenever we want to sell it, we'll let you know just so we can get the physical cash from that piece of paper, a.k.a. the bond. So on Thursday, because of that and because of the um, the inflation and interest rates that had been going up and down with the government, constantly raising interest rates, the value of those bonds were really, really low. So they had to sell these bonds to recoup the losses. On Thursday, which was, you guys are listening to this on Wednesday. So a couple or last Thursday, the stock crashed 60% after the bank said that it had sold $22 billion in assets and planned to sell billions more in the stock to raise money because of that. So because of this announcement, like you guys would imagine, it caused panic for all the tech investors and startups who had their cash reserves stored there. And this led to something called a bank run, as everyone tried to withdraw all of their money at once. But the problem was this. The bank, they didn't have enough money to satisfy the withdrawal requests because of the massive losses taken with their bond investments. So because of that, that's why the entire bank failed. And the worst part is that most of these deposits in SVB are not FDIC insured because they exceeded the $250,000 limit. So if you guys don't know what the $250,000 limit means, it essentially means that if you guys have a bank, right, and if you guys have some money in it, if the bank, if something ever happens to the bank and if they go out of business or whatever it is, let's say if you had five grand in that bank, the the bank themselves would give you back all of that money because they cover up to $250,000. But for Silicon Valley Bank, because it's a bank for specifically startups and businesses, businesses keep 
millions and millions and millions of dollars in that bank. So 95 over, I think it was 95 to 97% of all of the assets in SVB were uninsured. So of those $200 billion in assets that they had, like I mentioned earlier, 97% of those were uninsured because of the amount of funds that businesses kept with the bank. And because of this, this bank failure could have lasting ripple effects throughout the entire economy. And like I mentioned, large tech companies, as well as thousands of startups, all had their money deposited in SVB. Now, most of them, they won't have access to their cash reserves for a long time, quote unquote, if ever again, which could lead, up, which, which could lead to thousands of layoffs as the companies may not have enough cash to meet payroll requirements and other risks include massive defaults on loans taken out elsewhere and maybe even multiple bankruptcies. And I think the bigger part, like he mentions, is that it jeopardizes the confidence people have in our banking system. Other banks could be in similar situations with too much bond allocation causing their own future liquidity issues. The Fed has no plan to stop raising rates either, which only adds fuel to the fire. So he says, what does this mean for you? No one knows what long-term effects this could have, and it'll likely take months to see them all unfold. But you should prepare for the worst and hope for the best. And he talks about a couple of uh, best practices that I'll get into a little bit later. Um, but I just think that it's, it was super crazy that this specific part happened. And not to mention, not like this was crazy enough. Like the day after all of this stuff went down, they did something like even crazier, which was good, but it also caught a little bit of heat from a good amount of people. And there was this guy on Twitter named Rajat Sony who talks about it in a very, very well put together way. So I'm going to read this thread out to you guys. It goes like this. He says the U.S. Federal Reserve came up with a solution to deal with the current banking crisis. SVB clients will get their deposits back. The solution seems great in the short term, but it will lead to pain for the average person in the long term. So he starts off with a little bit of background info saying that in 2020, March 26, 2020, the U.S. financial system was based on fractional reserve banking. This fractional reserve banking is a system that allows banks to keep a certain portion of client deposits on hand, meaning that they have to, if a person has like $10,000 in the bank, they have to keep a certain portion of that in the bank just in case the client comes in asking for the money, something like that. Fractional reserve banking allows banks to do whatever they want with client deposits in order to make a profit. For example, they can lend the money or invest it in assets. The Federal Reserve is the central bank of the U.S. The Federal Reserve lends money to large banks and the U.S. government. So a lot of the growth in our current system comes from that lending. When banks lend money more easily, it means businesses are able to invest in operations and hire employees. So what happened, though, on March 15th, the Board of Governors of the Federal Reserve System announced a change to reserve requirements. And then that leads to saying on 26th of 2020, the U.S. banking system would be changed to no reserve banking. Simply put, banks could essentially just start doing whatever the hell they want with all of your money. So all the money that you have sitting in your Chase or Bank of America or Wells Fargo, that money's not actually there. It's essentially just being taken and the bank just uses it to do whatever the hell they want with it. 
it's just in circulation. It's in the air for whatever reasons that the bank wants it to be there for. And Priestley, if clients wanted their deposits back at any point, the bank would need to have enough cash on hand to support all withdrawals. If withdrawals can't be supported, the bank will collapse, which is what happened to SVB. So Silicon Valley Bank was one of the banks that could do whatever it wanted with client deposits to make a profit. This means it can invest in any asset, regardless of time horizon mismatches. Deposits can be withdrawn immediately. Investments are usually long term. Fortunately, the bank purchased mostly U.S. Treasury notes, which are considered free from the risk of default. Default meaning, you know, the bank going under. While it has the assets to back client deposits, it doesn't have enough cash. The bank collapsed in 36 hours because so many withdrawals were requested at once. In 24 hours, I think the number was $42 billion was the amount of withdrawals that were requested from the bank. The stock crashed after the stock crashed like 60%. After that time period, $42 billion were requested to be, be withdrawn. And the bank, they didn't have enough money and cash just sitting there to honor that $42 billion in uh, withdrawals. And because of that, they just have to default. And that's why the bank essentially collapsed. So today, while you guys are listening to this on Wednesday, I'm recording this on Monday. So this happened on Sunday, Sunday night. The Federal Reserve announced something called the BTFP program which is Bank Term Funding Program. It was created to support American businesses and households and assure that banks have the ability to meet the needs of all their depositors. This means essentially banks can take risks without being worried about a bank run, aka too many people simultaneously withdrawing money, because if the banks don't have enough money to support client withdrawals, they can take a loan from the BTFP with bank assets as collateral. So to put it even simply, Let's say if you have $10,000 in your bank and if you want to take out all $10,000 and the bank doesn't even have that 10 grand to give you, they could just refer to this bank term funding program and they could ask the government and be like, hey, this dude needs all 10 grand. We don't have it. Can we just get a loan from you guys for this amount of money? Cool. They take the loan for 10 grand and then they just give you the 10 grand. Essentially, if the bank doesn't even have your money, they could still give you your money by just taking that money from the government as a loan. So I don't know what your guys' thoughts on this are, but it might sound good. It might sound bad, but he talks about how the wealth gap because of this will continue to become wider. Banks can now buy even more assets and push prices up. They can, they can pay executives and employees bigger bonuses and increase the price of goods for everyone. They can borrow from depositors to buy assets. Then they can even use those assets to borrow even more money from the BTFP program if depositors ever want their money back. He says the solution might be positive for the short term, but pain will be felt by the average person in the long term when inflation continues to rise and assets are unaffordable. The average person won't be able to store wealth because currencies always lose value. This goes to show our financial system is not built to help you. It's built to help financial institutions. Over the last year or so, many people have had to sell their houses because they can't afford the payments. I know I 
me personally in my personal life with all of the increases in prices, like just inflation in general, like, bro, if you like go out to like get like a sandwich from somewhere, it's like $10, $10 now gas. It's not cheap, but like, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's a little expensive, right? Like $50, $45 per fill up. That shit's expensive and it adds up. He continues on. More people seem to be experiencing homelessness than ever. None of these people receive support from the Federal Reserves or banks. The only solution here is to become financially literate. You have nobody backing you up while the elites are backed by federal systems. You need to build your own emergency fund and asset portfolio to protect yourself from inflation. Over the next few years, the wealth gap will continue to get wider. At a point, there won't be a lower, middle, and upper class. There will be people with assets and people without assets. Anybody without assets won't be able to save for the future, reducing the chance of achieving any sort of financial freedom. He goes on to say, most people are going to miss their chances to protect themselves because they don't understand how money works. Anyone without a plan is going to regret it in 10 years. When they're priced out of everything, some topics to focus on so you're not left behind. And I'll talk about this in a second, but I kind of want to debrief. He gives a list of like 11 things to focus on just so we're not quote unquote left behind. But my thoughts on this when I was reading this, and there's, there's a lot of Twitter threads that you guys can refer to, but this is the one that I just liked. I think he explained it really, really well. It's a little bit concerning for me. Granted, I don't run a multi-million dollar business or I don't have, you know, $250,000 liquid sitting in a bank account. If any of you listening, if you do, maybe this applies to you a little bit more. But I think that the average person should use this as a lesson to know that keeping all of your money in the same place or trusting financial institutions over the government in terms of where your money is and what you're doing with it. It's not always the best idea, right? So, you know, I could have $10,000 sitting in a bank and feel like it's okay. And I shouldn't be worried. That's cool. But when things like this continue to happen more frequently, by the way, as we're speaking on Wednesday, I think today or yesterday, I think like 20, 10, 15, 20 hours ago, there was another bank that actually closed down. It was a bank called Signature Bank. I don't know if you guys are aware of that, but that's another bank that went down kind of relating to the same reasons. And there was this dude um, that posted something. He posted a tweet that was really funny, um, but also impactful. So I thought I'd share it with you guys. Um, it's a dude, a dude named Warren Gunnels. Um, and by the way, I'll, I'll give you guys like all of these in the description. He says this, he goes, Mark Cuban, bail out Silicon Valley Bank tonight. The feds, they approve it. Lloyd Blankfin, I don't even know who that is. He says, Goldman, Sna Goldman Sachs needs $824 billion. Feds, they approve it. Jamie Dimon, JP Morgan needs a 400, JP Morgan needs $416 billion. Feds approve it. The average Joe, my wife got cancer. Can we get Medicare? The feds say we're broke. 
and when I read and when I read that, I was like, <clears throat> wow, that's a very subtle example, but something that's so true for the average human being. It just makes you think like, hey, when these financial institutions and when these businesses need help from the government, they just hand them money like it's nothing. But when the average person has problems and are in need of some sort of help financially, the government doesn't like to step in as quickly and there's longer processes to get any sort of help. So I just thought I just thought I'd share that with you guys. Um, let me know what you guys' thoughts on that are. But, but yeah, I just thought that was a super interesting tweet. So I want to talk about some of the biggest takeaways and best practices that we can um, take as lessons from this banking catastrophe that happened this past week. So there's two things. The first one, I'm going to go through the list of things that that guy had told us to be literate on and i'm just gonna run through them real quickly these are all things that we should understand and have a little bit of education on why it's important how it works how it affect how it affects us here are 11 of those number one debt if you're in debt figure out ways to get out of it what type of debt is good what type of debt is bad all that stuff number two budgeting knowing how to figure out a plan for how much you're able to spend, figuring out your monthly recurring expenses, where your money goes, all that. Number three, emergency funds and sinking funds. Emergency funds, make sure that you have three to six months worth of your living expenses stacked away in a bank. Very important. Number four, inflation. Learning how inflation affects your day-to-day life, learning how to cut down on spending due to inflation and essentially just how it affects our economy as a whole. Number five, how the stock market works. Uh, The stock market can be your best friend in times of a recession if you do it correctly. I am not a financial advisor, so this is not financial advice, but the stock market can be really good to you if you're smart with it. Number six, how banks, this may sound a little bit harsh, how the banks take advantage of you. I think the more you read up on it, it's good, like how banks, quote unquote, take advantage of you. But I think the simplest way to understand it is or the or the example that I like to tell myself is one that I mentioned before. If I have 10 grand sitting in the bank, that money's not actually there. They just give me 0.02% interest for the entire year on the money that I have sitting there. But they're going to take that $10,000 and go invest it into a fund that'll give them 3% or 2% or 1.5%, whatever it is. So the bank, they make a lot more money off of me than me actually being with them. That's how the business works. So I wouldn't say, I guess you could say take advantage. I don't, you guys can think about it however you guys want. Um, the seventh one is real estate. I think real estate is the best asset to have and hold your value in. Like, unless your house gets like burned down or someone just like demolishes it, your money can't go anywhere because it's sitting in property. It's sitting on the ground. It's in land and it's it's in the house. So real estate, very important. Number nine, Bitcoin and just understanding the blockchain, 
the Web3, the power of Bitcoin, and how storing your money sometimes in a decentralized currency can benefit you in times like this, where regulated currencies and governments affect these huge banks, which a lot of people are actually using. Number 10, the importance of precious metals. This one I didn't really, I don't really know too much about, so I'm going to read in on or read up on it a little bit. I think he's referring to like buying gold, I think. And the 11th one is, or excuse me, the 10th one, I believe, is the history of money. So just understanding, I think, the markets, how the money patterns work, stuff like that. So those last two, I don't really know much about. Honestly, a lot of these I, sh- I will continue to understand and understand and experience the older I get. So that's just a list of a couple things that we should educate ourselves on. Those 10, debt, budgeting, emergency funds, inflation, how the stock market works, how banks take, quote unquote, advantage of you, real estate, Bitcoin, the importance of precious metals, and the history of our dollar. And the best practice that I actually shared a little bit earlier that you guys can take away from this pod is don't keep all of your money in one place. It sounds super, super obvious, but let's be real. Most startups and early stage companies aren't the most savvy when it comes to, you know, assessing risk. So if you're someone who has a startup and if you guys are doing any sort of like pre-seed or seed funding, taking that money and putting it somewhere where it's actually like safe and invested well, I think it's really important. So I know I just use like a business example, but just spread your money out across, you know maybe two bank accounts, maybe a brokerage account, maybe like, you know, retirement accounts, stuff like that. Maybe even keep a little bit of cash, like physical cash somewhere in your home or in a safe. But I think it's just a good way to protect yourself from any potential risk. Now, again, mind you, I know we're not all millionaires running big businesses, but even amongst all of these crazy things happening in the business world, I think we can educate ourselves financially to make the right decisions. So yeah, that's all I got for you guys today. I hope you guys took something away in terms of why maybe our banks or our money isn't safe in the banks anymore. Because if this can happen to, um, my buddy actually shared with me yesterday that Silicon Valley Bank was the 16th largest bank in terms of AUM, like assets under management in the entire um, in the entire US. It was the 16th largest. So if it can happen to a bank of that magnitude with $200 billion worth of assets, you never know what bank it can happen to. So it's good to just be well diversified and understand why this is important. So now I'm going to move on to my favorite part of every pod is the gentleman's agreement. The gentleman's agreement is something that is very, very important to me. And I hope it's important to you too, because We have been growing and I have been getting a lot of good feedback on this pod. And I think that's because of this gentleman's agreement. So I'm going to continue to emphasize it. The gentleman's agreement goes like this. There's two sides to the agreement, of course, mine and yours. I give you guys a pod every single day, just like I promised for 365 days straight. Your end of the 
your end of the agreement is a couple things. Follow this pod on Spotify or wherever you guys listen listen to your podcasts. Number two, give it a five-star rating. A five-star rating boosts the podcastism and the world of getting my podcast seen by some nerd who's into like business, self-development, growth, all that shit. And last but certainly not least, share this pod with a friend. Share it with someone who may not know what happened this past weekend with this banking crisis and how it can affect us moving down the line. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for joining me for episode number 46. Like I always say, take care. Tell someone that you love them and go do something nice for someone today because they deserve it. Thanks so much and I will see you guys tomorrow. Peace.